1: All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the tool shed. This is episode 106 of the Fantrax tool shed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have a really fun episode in store today, a jam packed episode at that. And with me, as always, my 80 great co host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, bud?
2: Oh, not too much. It's going to be a doozy of an episode. We got uh, listener questions, a lot of spring training updates, and we're, what, a week out from the season starting? Yes. Crazy. It's crazy. It's almost here. You know, drafts are wrapping up and we are going to hit the season hard. So I can't wait for that.
1: I am so ready. I, I don't know this year. It feels like after the lockout, I don't know it's, I'm, I'm always amped up for the season, obviously, but it feels like a little more, a little more amp, a little more excitement this year. It's just ready to go. I took both Thursday and Friday off from my day job next week. Just so gonna sit there, watch baseball the entire day. If my kids try to fight me for the TV, I will they will not win this fight. Usually I give in, but they will not win. It's opening day. It's gonna be baseball for first pitch, which is I don't know, I think around noon, I'm assuming. I haven't actually looked at the time, all the way through the night games. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And we finally have some some real baseball to talk about here. A lot of a lot of fun storylines and players excelling or not excelling so far in spring training. Plus a little list of questions as Chris mentioned as well. So Really jam-packed show, so let's get right into it. But 1st just get the usual housekeeping out of the way. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Rotoclay. I am at EricRoss04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us. And, of course, check out all the other great work we have on the Fantrax HQ network, including our 2022 draft kit. And I was just told tonight that the new draft room that we've kind of been teasing for a while is out It is ready it is done so go check that out it is phenomenal so much functionality it looks just sexy it's a great you know i i liked our old draft room it was a fine draft room but they went really went above and beyond the Fantrax team did with this new draft room like chris and i have had in several of our you know drafts so far that we were able to access it and it is phenomenal so go check that out it's, it's a lot of fun but let's get right into it chris So let's start with some, we'll do some listener questions after the break. We'll start with some spring training storylines. Let's start on a a positive note here. Joe Adele is, this looks really damn good. You know, Chris, you tweeted up the other day and we were talking about this, I think before we came on one of our last episodes and started recording, but how much better Joe Adele's swing looks this year. There was a video that the Angels posted from, from behind, but one of his home runs from about, I don't know, four or five days ago, I think it was at this point. And it's the difference – and then, Chris, you did, I think you did it side by side. The difference in his swing, you know, from last year and in previous years to now, it is so much smoother, more direct to the ball, less noise, less, you know, move, unnecessary movements, you know, throughout. It looks really good. Obviously, it's spring training. We don't want to overreact too much. But so far through 10 games, you know, he's hitting 280, only striking out under 25% of the time, three home runs. And three steals, that's great to see. Uh, obviously, spring training, but I just love to see that he is running. So, this could be a nice little breakout year here for Joe Adele. And Chris, I know you put in your, when you were doing that piece with Fantasy Pros, where everybody was picking a breakout, I believe you put Joe Adele, didn't you? Yep,
2: sure did. I put my money where my mouth is, too. I took him at 126 in the Highlander dynasty. I, you know, obviously wanted to wait. There was a lot of good players on the board, but... I think he's on the verge of a breakout. I, I really do. And when there's tangible change, it always means something to me. Not to mention the elite prospect pedigree, the strides he made last year. I mean, he he increased his contact rate by 10 plus percent. Zone contact rate was up as much as well. So, he made tangible changes that now allow him to get even more contact in my opinion, like he's his bat's just direct to the ball. So there's monster power. I think he chips in some speed as well. So, you know, honestly, I'm not going to be surprised when he breaks out in a big way this year.
1: Now, we, we both use the term breakout. What, what do you think that looks like? You know, I'm feeling, obviously, I'm still kind of down from where we kind of thought he when he was a like peak prospect. I, I don't have projections that high anymore, but I'm thinking something like 260, 30 home runs, maybe 10 steals is in play. What, what do yeah. you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I think that, you know, I think 25 home runs is realistic. I don't see why I couldn't approach 30. And you're right, I think 10 steals is probably what we're looking at. We're not looking at an elite, like, 20-steal type guy. But a 260 average with that is is pretty solid, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, so maybe, and you know, I think at one point we thought he was to be some, like, you know, 30-30 superstar, t- and 280 first-round talent. You know, I don't think that may be. That's a bit too high at this point. That's very lofty from what we've seen from him over the last couple of years, but definitely still think he can be like a borderline top 50 overall player in long term. I think that's still in play.
2: Yep, I don't see why not. I'm a really big fan of what he's done, and I certainly see him progressing, making strides. That lineup should be really good, Yeah, and as long as they stay healthy, he will be in it, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that. I was just pulling up their uh, roster resource page here. You know, roster resource has him hitting seventh. Who knows if that's going to be... They have Marsh hitting sixth, but in a platoon. So I can see him... I can see him in as high as fifth. Maybe sixth or seventh to start of the year. They have Max Stassi fifth, but he's looking to get a lot of RBI opportunities because that top four is Otani, Trout, Walsh, and Rendon. So he, he could, you know, full season, if he does what we think he can, he might be flirting with 100 RBI as well, or at least you know, 80 to 90 plus. So definitely, like... Adele here. This year, wish I had more shares than I, than I do, but I, I do have a few shares, so I'll, I'll be happy with that for now, I guess. Moving over to you know, the same same town, well, technically a different town because I don't think the Angels are actually in Los Angeles, <laughs> obviously, but still Los Angeles team to the Dodgers and someone that, another outfielder that's not doing so well to start the year, and he's been you know a f- vocal point on Twitter. People are talking about him. People still, you know. He's very split on Twitter. People some people are like way off, like me. Other people are still like, oh, you know, he's still a great player. So he's a, always a fun one to talk about. Obviously, it's Cody Bellinger. And we always say to not read too much into spring training stats. I said it's, you know, we're talking like 10 games here, right? Like we're talking 20 to 25, 30 point appearances at most. But sometimes you can read into spring training point appearances, especially when we're talking about a player coming off one of the worst offensive seasons of the 21st century last year. Guy that's had many injuries over the last few years. And now through his first 25 plate appearances has three hits and a 68% strikeout rate. He has one walk to 17 Ks and he's tinkering with a swing. I mean, I had him as like a borderline top 100 guy, Chris coming into the year before we had any spring training games. I, I'm way down that I'm trying not to overreact too much of this, but I wanted to see him at least be not this terrible early on. In fact, he's already tinkering with his swing. That's very concerning to me.
2: Well, yeah, I think that's the most concerning thing is he's changing it again. And the fact that he's really like, has like three different approaches right now. I was reading up on it where he has like three different approaches. And basically he's trying to see if he can catch the high fastball with his current swing. But if not, he's going to adjust to this. And if not, he's going to adjust to this, which is, kind of crazy to me and yeah you talk about a bad season last year you had a, a 48 wrc plus a 237 woba like those are horrific i mean yeah. 165 batting average and i get it the babbitt was low but his strikeout rate ballooned like the highest it had been since his rookie year and you know in 2019 and 2020 he was at 16 17 and up to 27 like that's kind of crazy and the spring's not been encouraging at all I don't know what he's doing, but he's completely lost. And the Dodgers are an elite team. They're not going to keep running him out there. Like yep. if, if he's struggling this bad, they've got other options. Like they're going to move on from him. I hate to say that, but I, I think it's wish casting at this point to say that he's going to be okay. Maybe he will. I know a lot of people are still saying they're buying the dip, but I'm out, man. I'm telling you, I, I don't want anything to do with them.
1: I don't either, dude. And that's a great point is the Dodgers are loaded and, they're going to be a contender. They always are, and if he's struggling, they're not going to, you know, they'll be quick to the, the leash is short here. Like they'll be quick to tug him out of that lineup, or maybe put him in a platoon or something like that. But they have so many guys on the bench and coming up through the minors where they can, you know, they can put Lux out there, like they can do so many different things that they don't need Bellinger. Like he's already supposed to hit like bottom third of the order because that lineup is loaded top to bottom, obviously. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I would even feel comfortable taking. Like, if I had a draft tonight, I don't know, one hundred and fifty, still no, two hundred, maybe two hundred is where I start to think about it at this point. But I don't know, man.
2: There's always going to be somebody in your league though that's way too yeah, high on him and get him exactly. at pick one hundred. So your chances of getting him in a discount are pretty slim. Like you're going to have to pay ADP, I think, even even with the struggles.
1: Absolutely, you are, and I know there's plenty of people sitting there listening to our podcast right now that are saying like, Oh, well, he's been, he's uh, dealing with all these injuries the last couple of years. Yes, he has. But I think people just give him a free pass for that, for some odd reason. And they expect that, like, Oh, he's going to be hundred percent healthy from here on out. That's a super risky. And you got to factor that in. Yeah. Okay. Some of the struggles could be attributed to injuries. Sure. hundred percent agree with that, but not all. And you still get to fact like, all right, durability is an issue at this point, yeah. like that fact is in, you got to play the games to accumulate the stats. It's, it's that simple. So yeah, there's so many red flags in terms of durability in the profile. I just, I don't want anything. I don't want any part to do with him in redraft or dynasty right now. It's at the point where I need him to show me something for me to even remotely buy back in. And he hasn't shown anything in a while. So to yeah. so take a lot to get me to buy back into Bellinger. At this yeah.
2: Point. He's a player. You needed to see something from the spring and you haven't seen it at all. I think it's, a, a bad process to say that he's fine. Like, we're, I'm not worried about this. Yeah, Springs training stats don't mean a ton, but just watch him. He's completely lost.
1: Yeah, it, it would be something if he was, you know, had three or four hits. He's hitting like, you know, 150, but like, I don't know, 25, 30% K rate. No, this is a 68% K rate. 17 Ks and 25 plate appearances. That is terrible. So moving on, though, here to a couple other Hitters that have struggled as well over the last couple of years. Or excuse me, not, not two hitters, two, just two players in general. One hitter, one pitcher that have struggled a lot since they got up to the major leagues, former top prospects. Hasn't panned out, but both are showing something in spring training, unlike Cody Pellinger. Mitch Keller, Kasten Huria. Let's let's start with let's start with Mitch Keller because he's been a very popular kind of conversation piece on Twitter over the last few days because He is now through three spring training starts, eight and two-thirds innings, allowed seven hits, no runs, one walk, and seven strikeouts. The velocity's been there. People have been gushing over the velocity. So people are like, oh, it's time to buy back yet on Keller. And I, I get it to a degree because he has the former top prospect pedigree, even though I was never really a big Keller guy, even back when his prospect hype was probably the highest in like, what, 2018, maybe that was. I can't remember at this point. But there's still a lot of issues with Mitch Keller, mainly the command, which is why I was never really as in on him as others were. And again, it's only eight and two thirds innings. I don't know. Where do you at on Keller? Are you, are you kind of drinking that Kool-Aid Chris or are you still a bit wary of him?
2: No, I'm hundred percent in because he, again, he made changes. He made grip changes with his pitches and the results show. And you know, when we saw that bullpen from tread athletics back in January, I mean, it was kind of like, well, he's just throwing a bullpen. Like, you know, the numbers are kind of inflated because it's a bullpen. And while, yeah, you can say that that's true, he's still been super elite, honestly. I mean, everything backs up what he did in that bullpen session. And I'm not worried about the command because when, you, when you're when you throwing at 97, you can get away with more misses than you can if you're throwing at 93. So everything else just totally looks great. I mean, the swing and strike rate on all of his pitches has been through the roof this spring. The CSW in his last start was, you know, all right, so all pitches 36% and forcing 45% CSW, slider 41%. The curve was down a little bit to, to 13, but 40% on the changeup. So everything looks great. He's keeping the ball on the ground at a high level, not allowing home runs, which is a, a big weakness for him, and he's striking guys out. Everything tangible is there. So yes, I I'm so bummed I didn't get him in the Highlander dynasty, honestly. I was holding out hope. When when I took, I had to look back, which pick it was. Let me see. Cause I was I was debating. Actually, so I took Jonathan VR because I needed a middle infielder and some speed. I had middle and corner open and and he provides that. So I sat there and was like, shoot, I'm I really wanted Hira and Keller, which is funny. We've got them both. So I set on it and I was like, all right, I need VR. And I really thought Keller was going to make it back. He made it within three picks of coming back to me. And I was like, man, I was so heartbroken. But yeah, I, I think that Keller is going to be just outperform what everybody thinks. I, I, I think the crowd's pretty split on him right now. I don't think people are fully buying in. Some people are fully buying in, but I'm 100% in on Mitch Keller because you look at everything he's done and it just really backs up what we saw in that bullpen and he looks legit.
1: I guess I'll throw a little bit of cold water here because, yes, he made tangible changes 100%. And his velocity is up nearly, you know, but right around two and a half miles, at least in his last start, which against my Red Sox, actually, he averaged 96.4 on the four seamer. It was ninety three eight year before that. So 2.6 miles an hour up, sliders up 1.3. This is just from his last start. Curveball up 2.2, change up up 2.8. But, you know, the change up still is. Really, not even a, a valid pitch for him at this point. He's never really had a change-up. He's always really been fastball slider curveball, which is fine. Two two different breaking balls, you can get away with that. It's what you know. McCullers kind of is, is that route, and Glasnow too. You don't need a changeup, so I'm not gonna harp on that too much. But you know, you did mention like he's second guys out. I was looking. At it. He's still, what he still only has, and again, this is just three three games, eight and two thirds innings. I get it, but he has seven strikeouts, 34 batters face. That's a 20.6% K rate, which is still well below league average so i'm glad he's only only has one walk that is very encouraging though he does have two wild pitches for what that's worth but again that'll be that'll be the thing can he throw strikes limit the walks limit the home runs which have all been issues for him all three of those have been huge issues and at the same time can he do that without sacrificing the former you know strikeout upside that he showed. And he was never a huge K-rate guy either, if I recall in the minor leagues. So I don't know. I, I'm just wondering if he'll have to sacrifice that and be a lower K-rate guy to not be terrible in the ratios. I wonder, like, is there that, you know, like we talked about with, with prospects and, you know, can they, just, you know, sacrifice power to get more contact or vice versa? Same thing with, with pitchers. Is he could sacrifice some of the swing and miss stuff that he's had in the minor leagues with, with the curveball and the slider? to be a guy that can, you know, hit his spots better and not give up so many home runs. I don't know. I'm just I'm waiting to see on Keller. I, I see why people are in totally get that, but I don't know. I'm more of a, a wait and see on Mitch Keller at this point.
2: I, I guess for me it's because where he's valued right now, you don't lose anything by drafting him. Oh yeah or for trading sure. for him where he is. So he can only go up and worst case you drop him. But the stuff looks right now enticing enough that he can return top 50 value, which is crazy. Like he can easily be a top 25 pitcher, in my opinion, with with the stuff that he's shown. So I'll, I'll take the risk as late as he's going that he does that. In worst case, you drop him. I mean, he's still young. You mentioned the prospect pedigree. So he's one, you know, even before the offseason started, was one that you look at and he's like, man, there's some potential breakout here. And now you see he's starting to show that he's just 25 years old. This seems like a, a prime post-hype breakout to me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree on, you know, the fact that his value is so low right now in terms of where he's being drafted and dynasty costs, all, all of that. Don't totally agree with that. I guess I'll I i guess I'll disagree with... I don't think he can get anywhere near that level of, like, top 25, top 50 pitcher. But we'll see. You know, he's very intriguing at the very least. It's it's worth a dice throw, you know, a dice throw. I'm combining... A uh, dart throw. There we go. I'm combining, <laughs> combining multiple terms here. Definitely worth a dart throw for sure just to see if it, like I said... Doesn't if he stinks it up in April and May, you drop him. So, well, moving on here to Keston Huria, who again is looking very good this spring. And this is coming off, you know, so for, for Huria's career, 241, 318, 455, which isn't, you know, terrible, but it's just gotten worse every single year. Average 303, 212, 168. OBP 368, 297, 256. Slug 570, 410, 301. He was just unusable last year. You know, 77 strikeouts and 61 games. It's a hit 168, four home runs. But this year in spring training, eight games, 21 plate appearances. He's seven for 17, four extra base hits, three home runs, two walks, six strikeouts. So still striking out close to 30% of the time, but he's looking pretty good. He's kind of repped his swing a little bit as well. I don't know how much he plays though, because there's a lot of infielders, a lot of mouths to feed in that Milwaukee infield right now. Like for instance. You know, he right now he's projected to be in a platoon. They have three platoons listed on Rust resource. There's you got Rowdy Telez in there, Jace Peterson, Mike Brousseau, and obviously Colton Wong. Adames are the locked in starters, but the corners are probably looking like platoons at this point. So, how much does he play? But again, the what we've seen from him in the past is enough to they at least, you know, same thing with Keller. It's a dart throw, it's a roll of the dice, late run flyer, you know, whatever term you want to use there. But I'm not fully out on, on here like i am on, on others but i think how much average we have from him in the minor leagues there's a definitely a blend to be had a balance to be had between that contact and power the fact that he went through so many personal issues with his mother and, and whatnot so i think i'm willing to see what he can do hopefully he gets a starting job that's a big thing here if he can play enough maybe they put him in the outfield a little bit too, move him around play multiple positions but. Yeah, here is at least uh, interesting right now for sure.
2: Yeah, and he he, today he had a double too, only struck out once. So the strikeout rate is down from what we have seen in the past, which is good. I think it is worth looking at the quality of pitcher he's facing. But overall, just like Adele, he's made legit changes that I think really can stick with him. The playing time is a question mark for me, but I'm willing to bank on the talent. As I mentioned, I did draft him in the Highlander dynasty pretty late. I got him in the... 19th round. So I don't remember what pick that was, but 20 team league, almost near pick 400. So I think that we see him bounce back. You're right, the playing time's gonna have to be there, but we've seen the contact rate be okay. The strikeout rate has gone down. If he can, I just think if he keeps the strikeout rate below 30%, he's gonna be okay. He's got like a Javi Baez-ish profile, which is fine. I mean, Baez gets away with it and has elite fantasy seasons every year. I wouldn't say elite, but you know, it's really good fantasy seasons. Yeah. So I I think we can see him bounce back. Another young player who has the skill set, the pedigree we've seen before, is now kind of putting things together. And wouldn't surprise me at all to see him have a really good year. And and by good, even if he goes, even if he hits two fifty and gives you twenty five home runs and five steals, I'd say that's a step forward for for here. And he's like I said, still a younger player, former first round pick, all the pedigree in the world. Let's let's see it happen.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm still. I still want him to succeed. He looks like a likable dude. He's always smiling. He's got. He's a guy I want to succeed. So hopefully he can do that this year with Milwaukee. Like I said, everything is there for him to take that. And maybe he's not, you know, a a great player, but you know, maybe he's a guy that could be a, you know, maybe a serviceable corner infield, middle infield. Probably more of a corner infielder at this point, but never a guy that you're gonna have price starting at, but. A and starting quarter infielder, I can totally see that at this point with, with him. So moving on here, Francisco Lindor is really looking good this spring. Now, he's a guy that had a very up and down last, you know, 2021 season. Month to month, it was just maddening if you rostered him last year. But overall, the numbers were still okay. 20 home runs, 10 steals, but 230 average and 524 plate appearances in his first season with the Mets, but did finish strong end of the season still was walking a ton. So that's, you know, it's just similar metrics to years past. And this year in 22 plate appearances, this spring getting four seventy four with four home runs and two doubles, two walks to three strikeouts, no steals yet has even attempted the steal, but I'm not worried about that at all. But the fact that he's just looking really good this spring and he'll be, he'll be hitting in the middle of a pretty good New York Mets lineup. Top to bottom could be in, you know, could be in store for a nice bounce back to year here in 2022.
2: Yeah, and he's one where you know you see that the prototypical thing when someone gets a huge contract and goes to a big city, there's a lot of pressure on him. So, interestingly enough, he's not swinging a lot of pitches this spring. He's been been very passive. He just has a 38% swing rate, but the results have been there. He's been selective. It's paid off. He's got a 13% strikeout rate, four home runs as you mentioned, solid average near 500, the slugs through the roof. So everything you want to see. I don't know if we see him get back to that 20-steal type, but I don't think he has to with where he's being drafted. I think there's definitely 30 home run, 10 stolen bases in the profile. So where he's going, it seems like he could be a good value at shortstop, especially with so many of the high-end shortstops being pushed up. Lindor's kind of an afterthought. It seems like he's kind of flying under the radar here and having a really solid spring, honestly, with a lot of tangible change that we've seen, cutting down on the swing rate, et cetera, and it's paid
0: off.
1: Yeah, how how high do you think he can rise this year, Chris? Like, you look at some of the short in terms of the shortstop position. You know, I think I obviously definitely behind Turner and Bo. Like, they're head and shoulders above the rest at this point, especially after Tatis's injury. But you look at that next tier. You know, in terms of ADP, where it's like Tim Anderson, it's Trevor Story, it's Semi, and it's Bogey, and then Lindor. I think you could see him realistically be the third most valuable shortstop this year if things break right for him.
2: Yeah, I could see him pushing top five. It's just so deep, and everybody at the top is so talented. So, you know, a lot of different things can happen, but you're right. I think the talent we've seen him in the past produce those kind of numbers and be that high in shortstop. So, I don't think top five is out of the question for me.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Trevor Story, obviously, I think is a great value. He'd probably be a number three for me over Anderson at this point. I think he's going to be an absolute beast in Fenway. Uh, Semyon, I think, is, is fair value. Xander's right there, too. So, yeah, I think you definitely could see him finish ahead of Bogey, ahead of Semien, ahead of Anderson, maybe even ahead of Story. We'll see. But So, at the, yeah, I think at this point his ADP is right in the 55-ish range. I think for what he can bring to the table, even if he is only a 10-12 to 12 steal guy, but 25-plus home runs, I think the average will bounce back, OBP as well, good amount of counting stats to go with it. I think that's definitely a great value for Lindor this year. So you still get, it's got your draft upcoming here over the next week or so. You know, maybe give a Lindor a look in that, you know, 50 to 60-pick range. All right, next on the dock, a couple of pitchers here that are looking pretty good in spring training. One pretty young, one not so young, Jesus Lazardo and Justin Verlander. Lazardo is one we've obviously talked about several times this off season at different points. And I think that we're both buying back in, and Lizardo is looking really, really good so far, as has Verlander. What what are your what are your thoughts on these two for this year, Chris? Like how how good like in terms of like the top X pitcher this year? Like how high do you think each of these guys could go at the end of the year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised by either because we've seen this from both before. Obviously, with Lazardo not at the big league level, but we saw flashes of it last year. Again, the velo being up is pretty significant. He's made a couple tweaks in the arsenal. Like throw your best pitch the most often. That's what he's been doing, and it's it's really paid off for him so Lazardo, I think could easily be a top 25 pitcher this year he's definitely got the pedigree and we've seen him perform at that high level in the minor leagues and with Verlander I mean he's only going he be the best pitcher in baseball even at 39 years old he looks like he's still the guy ready to go out there and do his thing so wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a top 10 or top 5 pitcher at the end of the year
1: yeah I think you know people are reading too much into his age honestly because yeah, he's old. I, I get it. He's pushing 40. Is he 40 that, at this point? No. He's 39? 39. 39. Yeah. 39. Okay. Still. That's very old, obviously. That n- number 40, people get scared by it. But Verlander showed, before obviously the missed season, showed no signs of slowing down. No signs whatsoever. They tell him Max Scherzer, where he's still elite in his late 40s. So, if anything, I-, I think the year off might be good for him. No, There's not another year of wear and tear on that arm. He looks phenomenal this year. The velocity's there. The break and stuff is there. You know, it's all there. So, I could – he's obviously on a great team as well. Yeah, I could easily see both these guys being top 25 arms, maybe even higher than that for for winner. He could be top 10. I totally agree with that. So, right now, like, I have over 75% of my league is I have Hazel Cesardo. I'm just talking redraft leagues. I don't know what – it is in Dynasty Leagues, but I have a few shares of him in Dynasty Leagues as well. He's my highest rostered player by – a significant margin. I have nobody else over 50%. He's up like 78% or whatever it is, something ridiculous. I'm trying to get him everywhere. The ADP has risen over the last few, you know, three, four weeks, as I thought it would when we saw him you know, get in the camp and getting the game action here. It looks pretty good. So it's kind of jumped from like 300-ish to more like 230, 250 at this point. But yeah, both these guys are great targets and looking very good so far in spring training. Moving on, a couple – Closer situations have have kind of come to light here over the last few days out in the Bay Area with the Dodgers and the Giants. Gabe Kapler pretty much saying that Jake McGee is going to be the guy at least to start the year. So everybody that drafted Camilo Doval, that's something we talked about, too, with I think both George Montanez back in like October or whatever, and then with the reliever recon guys that Doval is the sexy pick there in that bullpen. McGee is far from a sexy pick, but you know, McGee is the guy that has the experience and Capor likes him. So he'll get the save opportunity to start the year. And then with the Dodgers, you know, they didn't say you know, this guy is the closer over Blake Trinan, but it's going to be, I think a mixture of guys, you know, Daniel Hudson, Blake Trinan, Bruce DeGraderol. So it's not going to just be Trinan. I think he'll probably still lead the bullpen and saves by the, you know, venture I guess, but I don't think he's maybe not going to get that 25 to 30 that we are hoping for. Or just take, you know, step in for Jansen. So, yeah, definitely uh, big blows to people that had Treenin shares and Do- Dovall shares. And I had a lot of Treenin shares. I was really sipping that Kool-Aid. So, yeah, really tough to hear that, but not surprising at all.
2: I mean, I'm not upset. I'm not even worried about it particularly because the ratios are so good. I think he still gets 15 saves. You're looking at a team that's going to win 110 games. Got to imagine that he still probably sneaks 15 to 20 saves. Yeah, I, Daniel Hudson has been quoted saying that he doesn't like closing either. So somebody's got to do the darn job for them. Apparently, no one wants to close. Your best pitcher, obviously, it doesn't close in every situation, but Blake Trinan's by far the best pitcher in that bullpen. Agreed. And I think it's going to play out where he gets the majority of saves. I'm not really buying it fully right now. He may not come out and get the first save of the year, but I really don't see a situation where he doesn't get the majority of the saves there. So I'm not really concerned about it. Duvall, I haven't drafted once. That was the easiest pass there was in drafts with how high he was going. And we talked about it. We've talked about it on the reliever episode here. You know, We've talked about it multiple times where, look at Gabe Kapler. For one, he's hardly ever committed to a closure. He was last year more than ever. But who was his guy? It was Jake McGee. And guess what? Jake McGee is back. He was with the team again. So why wouldn't he go with that guy again? Duvall you know, has been solid. And again, McGee has a track record. We saw him get the majority of saves last year, so I'm not surprised to see that at all.
1: Agreed. All right, let's talk a little bit of some prospects here in spring training. A lot of prospects really balling out this year. I I put a a tweet out earlier. All the top Kansas City guys are all hitting well. Prado is still striking out a bit too much, but Witt looks really good. looks like he's in line to start at third base. Bryson Stott looks like he's in line to start at third base for Philly. That will be great because I took both of them in the Highlander Dynasty draft with my first round pick at 16 overall and Stott was. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Somewhere in the 250 range, if I I had to guess. But if I can get dual eligibility from both of those guys, shortstop and third base, that would be great, because I kind of waited on third base. So hopefully I'll get third base eligibility from one of those two early in the season. And both of them are great. Obviously, we we know. know. But Stotts is a phenomenal target, because... I can see him working his way. Maybe he doesn't hit high initially, but his OBP skills would just be wasted in the bottom third of the order. And obviously they're loaded with adding Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, but I can see him moving his way up that lineup slowly, but surely very solid five category guy. Uh, so definitely love him as a you know mid to late run target this year. And, you know, one of and the, but the other one that's, you know, c- talking a couple of prospects that, Recently, t- today even got either sent up or called down or sent down or called up. I got that backwards. Hunter Green's gonna start the year in the rotation for Cincinnati, fourth game of the year, he'll be starting. So that's phenomenal. Love we'll to see that. O'Neill Cruz was sent down the other day to work on his outfield defense, which is just complete crap. But I don't know, Chris, a lot of stuff here. So, what are your general thoughts and everything for, for prospects in spring training?
2: Yeah, I mean, they've looked good for the majority. I mean, you look. Uh, I think there's a real possibility Julio Rodriguez makes the roster. I feel like it's a lock that Bobby Witt makes the roster. Torkelson and Riley Green, I think they make it too. So this is going to be an interesting but good change that we haven't seen as much in the past. I mean, O'Neill Cruz, you hate it, but not surprising at all that the Pirates did this. Props to the Reds, though. I mean, they're a non-contending team. They've traded off everybody. So maybe that's why Green is up, because they don't have anybody else left to pitch. <laughs> but... Green definitely deserves it. He's more than ready. Kind of said all along that Green would get probably ten more starts than Lodolo this year, just because he's more seasoned than AAA. Yeah. And now we're seeing that come to fruition. So you know, I'm I'm not surprised that this is how it's playing out. So yeah, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to Green. I still think Cruz gets his fair share of playing time, but maybe 400 plate appearances versus you know 600 like we thought. So he'll still get plenty of run this year and he'll be a really solid player.
1: Yeah. That was one of the listener questions we had later on. I guess we can listen just now. Someone's asking what is the ETA on O'Neill Crows? It's going to be early. Like if he's not back up by the end of May, I would be shocked. It's probably much sooner than that. So yeah, I still think definitely 400 plus, maybe even still 500 plus, you know, it's the whole work on this defense crap that we've seen in the past with Chris Bryant and others. So uh, he's still going to be up. He's one of the most talented hitters in that lineup already. We saw that last year. A couple of weeks or a month of AAA of him performing well, he'll be back up. Don't worry about that. It's hard to roster him when you're standard 12-teamers. I don't know. If, if you want to use a bench ball, I wouldn't be against it in 12-teamers with a you know, standard size bench, those you know, six, seven guys. But it's kind of hard to do so. But if you drop him, just be kind of looking to see, you know, be on top of when he might be back up. So you can pick him up a week before, or else you'll probably not get him uh, when he comes back up, that's for sure. You really think J Rod breaks camp though? I'm I'm so on the fence with, with if J Rod breaks camp. And he looks, he's been looking solid in spring training. You know, he had a, he had an absolute bomb the other day, home run, two steals, hitting 316, 381, one, five seventy nine. But I, I don't know. I feel like they still give him like a month or two in AAA. I don't know.
2: Maybe. I mean, he's ready. I think it's there's no question about that. He's good enough to to play with the big boys. So it's up to the team at the end of the day. But you know, you look and – I mean, Juan Soto played way less in double A than, than he has. So wouldn't be surprised, but also wouldn't be surprised. If they sent him down either, but he's more than ready. I think that we're looking at a generational type talent that's just ready to step in and play. So I don't know. I, I think that he could, but I wouldn't be
1: surprised if he, he didn't make the team. I think he definitely could with Soto though. Like it was because they had nobody else. I remember they had all <laughs> those injuries so they kind of yeah. had to Seattle. That's, that's the thing. Like, if they were like really barren in the outfield, I would totally see it. But they have so many guys in that outfield already that I don't know. But for what it's worth, Ross Resource does have him as a starting center fielder with Kelnick in left, and Mitch Haniger in right. Winker DHing, we'll see. I don't know. I think it's definitely possible. Like, I'm totally not ruling it out. Yeah, and, and Lewis is still you know coming off knee surgery, so he's not ready to start of the year. I could totally see it. And while we're talking about about Seattle here. We could see Matt Brash as the number five starter there. So someone asked me, to, was it today or yesterday on Twitter? Uh, Who you, would you rather have right now between Matt Brash and Mackenzie Gore? And I said Matt Brash. I said it was close, but I think I said Matt Brash. And I was like, man, if you would ask me this question, or you told me two years ago that in you know near 2022 opening day, I would be taking Matt Brash over Mackenzie Gore, I would have looked at looked at you like you had six heads. Like it's just <laughs> that just shows how much. How difficult this game is, and how much values can change very quickly. Where you go from Gore was the unquestioned number one, and at that time nobody even really knew who the heck Matt Brash was. Now he's the hot name, rising up rankings, and Gore is kind of the guy people are cautious to even go near in redraft for dynasty. But Gore, he could be a rotation back at you know number five guy for San Diego too. So he's got some intrigue if he gets that rotation spot too.
2: Yeah, there's definitely intrigue for for Brash for Gore. These dudes have looked really good and. I'm kind of believing that Brash takes the job and runs with it. A lot of people are skeptical, but I mean, the stuff is just unreal, and the stuff the stuff's going to play, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, at least he's going to be a big strikeout source, and if he can really continue to improve, he's already made gains with with the changeup, with his overall command and strike throwing, and that continues to you know take a step forward, like it has in 2021. Yeah, you could definitely see Brash take that next step, and I think. Yeah, you know, I still think he's more of like a mid rotation guy, but a very intriguing mid rotation guy, that's for sure. And that the yeah, rotation is gonna be pretty damn good. Like they already get Robbie Ray at the top. Logan Gilbert, they'll be adding Matt Brash, they'll be adding George Kirby sometime mid season. They still have, you know, Hancock waiting in the wings, Mark Gonzalez and Flex and kinda of just holding that holding it together, the kind of the glue guys there that can just give you innings. So that's a very good I think this would be a very good team. I think there could be a postseason team I'm sure we'll do our, you know, prediction thing probably on Patreon for the season, but I think Seattle's a postseason team this year. I really do. They, they're good offensively and on and on the mound, and they have one of the best bullpens in baseball too. So, it'd be a really fun team if you if you're a Seattle fan. It's be a pretty fun year. All right, yeah, agree. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side and get into all the listener questions. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get into some listener questions now. We got a lot of them, so we will try to get through as many as we can. If we don't get to yours, we will still answer it on Twitter, so don't you worry. Thank you to everyone that submitted questions. A lot of fun ones here, some dynasty ones, prospect, redraft, good mix here. Let's start with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Someone asked, if Tatis comes back and rakes for the second half, would you consider selling high? Do you think we can put the injury-prone tag on him, or do you think the injuries have been fluky? Now, I, I mentioned this, I think, last episode in our Dynasty Crystal Ball that I think I'm not ready to put the tag on him, but I got the tag ready at this point because I hate to say it, but there's a trend here already, and I don't think they're really – maybe the motorcycle could be considered fluky, but it has been a lot of injuries, a lot of different injuries. So I'm, I am at least worried that injury prone is going to start creeping in. So I would not be opposed to selling high. once, he, Not now. But once he comes back, if he rakes like like the this person asked, I wouldn't be you know obviously get a, you have to get a great return to trade a guy like Tatis, but I would not be opposed to it honestly. What what do you think, Chris?
2: Yeah, if he comes back and he rakes, obviously everybody's gonna be right back in on him, so you could get a a great return. I mean, he's still fetching great returns that I've seen right now, yeah. so I, I am slightly concerned. I do really wish that he would have gotten surgery on the shoulder as well because that still lingers and scares me. So I, I am not opposed to that if you get a elite player, because I, I think you can still get a top-five player for him, especially if he comes back and performs at a high level. I think it's pretty easy to say I would take him.
1: So what, what, let's say that happens, Christian, and you have Tatis and Dynasty. Someone offers you Boba Shat. You take it?
2: I think it's fair. I'd much rather have a Acuna or... Soto type, but right, I think I think I would. I do think I would take okay. that.
1: that. That was the first thing that kind of popped in my mind. Like a guy that's like, what, fifth, right in the, right in the middle of that top 10. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what about like a Vladdy Jr.? Well, let's, let's say it's OBP, someone opposite you, Vlad Jr. You taking yeah. it?
2: Yeah, that's pretty easy in my opinion. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think I would too at this point. Obviously, you know, on talent alone, it's 1A, 1B him and Acuna, but even Acuna's, you know, I, I don't, I, he's obviously not, hasn't had as many injuries as Tatis, but. Yeah, Tatis is really worrying me that it's maybe another Byron Buxton situation, which I mentioned last episode. So I definitely am concerned. So I would not be opposed to that for sure. All right, next question here from our buddy Christian Crespo, who we had on a few weeks back, a month ago. I can't remember at this point. It's all a blur uh, this time of year. <laughs> he said, who will be the number one prospect in baseball at midseason? All right, I, I have a definitive answer to this. Because obviously, I think at this point we're assuming – that Witt graduates, that Rodriguez graduates, that both the Detroit guys graduate, the Adley guys like that. So I'm taking all of them off the list. Yeah, I know who you're going with. I'm going Anthony Volpe. Yep, That figured. And it's funny because my last update a couple weeks ago, I had Volpe fifth. I had Rodley Gre- Green fourth and Noel Lee Marte third. Uh, and obviously the big guys at number one too. And I was asking myself the other day, why do I have him fifth? I think overall, like obviously, Green is closer by about a year, but I think there's a better hit tool with Volpe. I think there's more speed with Volpe. And I think the power isn't far off. So I'm wondering why do I have Green ahead? Is, is that proximity worth that much? And then I was with Willy Marte, who I I've always loved. People know that I was on him back when he was not even top 100. You know, I think there's more power with Marte, but Hit tool and speed solidly to Volpe. So I'm wondering, like, he, I might move him up to three right now, right now, and then number one when those two guys graduate. So yeah, it's Volpe for me. He's got the he's the entire package, 25, 25 type of guy, high average, high OBP, high floor, Yankees lineup, Yankee Yankee Stadium, a lot of good in that in know in that profile. So yeah, I'll go Volpe.
2: Yeah, I'm going with Corbin Carroll. I think the floor is even higher there. And I just feel like it's a safer profile. I do love Volpe, but Carroll to me, if he hadn't been injured all last year, I think may already be in that conversation. So, I totally agree. I think I think we'll see Carroll make that huge leap this year. Man, beautiful swing. The contact skills are through the roof. Elite speed and enough power to to play up. So I'll go with C- Corbin Carroll.
1: It's gonna be a really interesting conversation if you know, we get Volpe. We if Carroll's power progresses. Abrams, the same thing with Abrams, and the power progresses. There's a lot of good guys in that conversation, so there's not gonna be like a clear cut top two like we have now. It's gonna be like this group of like four or five that are just really, really good. So yeah, really fun conversation for sure. Next question we have here: Does Christian Hernandez of the Cubs have top five prospect potential? (sighs) Top five is really lofty. I think, I think he does. Are you talking about pure ceiling, Chris? I think he might be in that conversation.
2: Yeah. I mean, he saw, I mean, he really stood himself out from that international class last year and was, was dominant when he played. And I think that the best is still yet to come. I think there's still plenty of frame to fill out there. So yeah, I think top 10 is reasonable this time next year. And top five is a possibility. Obviously it lies to go right for you to be a top five prospect, but the skill set is, is there.
1: Yeah. I think you could, you could see a guy that's an above average or a better hitter. Plus for better power, solid speed. Maybe he's still a double-digit speed guy as he fills up the frame. So, yeah, it definitely could be there for sure. I love Christian Hernandez. Go out and get him. I think this time next year, the price is going to be so much higher in, in Dynasty Leagues. A couple of Yuri Perez questions here. So, we'll group these two together. With all the helium Yuri Perez is seeing, I would love to hear a quick breakdown slash debate on him versus Jack Leiter. And the other question was, would you take Yuri Perez first overall in a Dynasty FYPD? First off, I got Daniel Espino like three rounds after Yuri Perez, which I thought was ridiculous.
2: Yeah, that's silly.
1: That is no knock to Yuri Perez, though. He is obviously incredibly talented, 6'8", six, six, can touch upper 90s, got the big breaking ball, was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball at any level last year. So I, I totally get it. And he's super high in my rankings as well. But I wonder if, is, is the hype out of control at this point, Chris? Like, is the hype too much?
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy.
1: <laughs> so it, it's highly
2: possible that you can sell high and get something crazy for him, in my opinion. So don't be surprised if he does tail off a little bit. Like, he's going to have some struggles at some point. And I don't think people are quite ready to hear that. But I do definitely like sell high in Yuri Prez's case. I think he's great, but... I'm fine selling high if you can get a great return on them.
1: I am too. I'm, I'm trying to find – someone asked me recently. It was a trade question involving Yuri Perez. Oh, right here. Okay. So this was – yeah, yesterday at 29th. Someone asked me. They said, I was offered any one pitcher of Cavalli, Taj Bradley, and Ashby and any one hitter of Luis Matos and Marcelo Mayer for Yuri and Dynasty. Any combo worth it? I was like, absolutely take Matos and Ashby and run to the hills. Like, I think that just shows, like, and that's not a thing that's the person asking, obviously, but I was just using that that to show that the hype on Yuri is out of control. The people are like wondering, should I not do this? Where I have Matos top 15. He could be top 10 if this top 10 wasn't so damn loaded right now. Ashby could be a top 30 arm this year. Bradley's a top 100 overall prospect. Cavalli's top 60. Like, absolutely. I would, I would take. Matthos for Yuri straight up and then throw in Ashby or Cavalli or Taj Bradley. Absolutely. So yeah, this could be the time to at least entertain and, you know, throw it out in your, in your league chat or trade block, see what you get for offers. Obviously don't take a, you know, take, get a good return, but yeah, the price is just ridiculous in terms of FYPD. No, I don't even, I'm not sure if he's talking about 2021 or 2022 at this point, but 2021, I'm still taking, you know, all those prep process we've talked about or size Suzuki or Jack later over, Yuri Perez who I still think Yuri uh, lighter over Perez right now maybe slight ceiling could go to Yuri Perez a little more than lighter but lighter's ceiling is still incredibly high much higher floor at this point in time so I'm still definitely on the on the lighter side that could change you know Yuri's on the upper trajectory so that could change for sure but I w- I'd rather have Jack lighter at this point. Are you, are you uh lighter as well, Chris? Yeah, 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 definitely. So. Yeah. All right. Moving on here. So past the Yuri questions. Next one. Last episode, you talked about Miguel Vargas as one of your most underrated prospects. Why do you think someone like Vargas gets overlooked? Are there any other prospects that you think are similarly underrated by other rankers? I'll, I'll let you go ahead, Chris. Chris, if you remember, ranked Vargas was at number two at third base <laughs> yeah. in 25 uh, years out, which... I like, I love Miguel Vargas. I tweeted about it, you know, the other day as well. Yeah, Vargas is definitely underrated, but Chris, I'll let you take this one. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I mean, you look at the combo of contact skills and the power that developed this year, and that's kind of what we were waiting on was the, the power to come, and it came. And the contact skills are through the roof. He's going to hit for a good average. Like, you're looking at a potential player that can hit 290 or better, and now we've seen the home run skills or the power come where there's enough power to easily hit 25 home runs. He's going to chip in some steals, and I just think that he's still you know, way, way, way too under the radar right now. And you can you know, get him cheap. And I'm not surprised that if he, I, I said he'll graduate a top 10 prospect, and he's somebody said, well, he does not have playing time, but he has the, he's the heir apparent to Justin Turner at third base. They have a vesting option on Turner, so it'll be yeah. interesting to see like how much they're willing to invest in him this year to see if they want to invest that contract for next year. And my take is that they're not. The Dodgers are known to go out and get who they want so they could easily go buy somebody. But when you have a player as good as Vargas in the wings, I think that he's ready. And I think we'll see him get a chance at some point this year. I
1: agreed. And to kind of answer that, the question, I think it's just like, If I could do it with a general brush to this answer, the prospects that don't have either huge power, huge speed, or a great combination of both are often the guys that get overlooked. Even a guy like Vargas, who has been 300-plus everywhere, easy-plus hit tool, and has shown more power over the last couple years, 25 to 30 homer bat, the guy that can add around 10 steals annually, at least early on. But people don't look at that. They don't say, like, oh, he doesn't have, you know, 30-plus homer power, and he doesn't have – he's not a 20, 20 guy or whatever it may be. Like, those are the guys that overlooked. Like, Bryson Stott, another great example of that. He doesn't have any huge tool. He, he gets on base. He gets for high average. He has 20-plus 20 20 plus home runs, 10-plus steals, score a ton of runs. Those are the guys that just don't have the loud tools. But you don't need to have loud tools to get – to be a highly valuable fantasy guy – Lindor wasn't a guy that had huge – he was more of a – thought of as a defensive guy with, you know, decent but not great offensive skills. Look at the career he's had. So look for the guys that produce and have good all-around skill sets but maybe not have those loud tools. So those, those are the guys that get undervalued in general.
2: Yep,
1: 100%. Moving on here. Oh, where I? I lost my spot in the sheet. We already did the O'Neal Cruz question. At what point – here's a good one. At what point do you – and they use give up – on a former prospect, former top prospects' upside. Some guys seem to hold crazy dynasty value well past their prospect days just because they were initially rated high as, as teens. But at what point are they simply the player they're going to be? And a couple of examples this person put in there Victor Robles, Mitch Keller, Cassandra, etc. It's That's a hard question to answer. It's different with everybody because you got to see what they are at the major leagues, what the profile looks like. You know, does the K rate go up? Like so many factors, so it's a hard question to give like a direct answer to. I don't. Know, do you have a, a great answer for this question, Chris? Mm, yeah, it, it's really it's, really it's kind of a it's a hard question, but it's it's such a player to player, yeah, you know, thing. Like it, it it varies.
2: Yeah, you have to look at, like what they're exhibiting. Like what? Why are they struggling? And I think that's an important answer. Or a thing that you always need to answer is the why. Everybody always yeah. quick to say, "Well, here's what they did," but why did they do that? Like. Why did they struggle? And if you can find the why and everything, I think it'll help you better answer that. So, like, you know, what caused this prospect to struggle? And if there's a good why as to why you should drop him, then I think that gives a good reason to quote give up on him per se. But you you look and like, let's so let's take these two players. Let's take two players here. So so like a Victor Robles, once top prospect, he doesn't have the skill set. Why has he struggled? Well, for one, he doesn't have the power. He's not stealing bases and he doesn't make enough contact to hit for average. So the why is pretty easy there of why he struggled. And I feel like I can answer that and say, like, he doesn't, he's not exhibiting any skills that makes me think that there's some hope for him. Mitch Keller's shown size, signs of hope this spring. here is shown signs of hope. Like, we haven't seen that. From, from a Robles type. So, like, when you find the why in that, it, it helps you to really answer that, I think, a little better.
1: Great answer. I'll leave it at that. Next question here. How would you project the infields for both the Pirates and Red Sox in 2023? Are Nick York and Nick Gonzalez expected to both stick at second base moving forward, and can we see them in the majors next season? Yes and yes. I think we we definitely could. I think long-term it's going to be O'Neill Cruz at short and Gonzalez at second for Pittsburgh. And I think I think York takes a second base because you got, you know, th- th- when he's ready, and I think we talked about this, I think I was saying maybe late 2023. I think, Chris, you were more early 2024, which I'm totally on board with as well. By that point, Bogarts could opt out. That was, I'd hate that, but he could opt out. You know, he could move Bogarts over. You know, some moving pieces could be moved around. So I'm not worried about, you know, Nick York being blocked yet. We could see York at short, a second base, excuse me, Story at short. Bogey moves over to first or third and Devers goes to first, whatever it may be, I don't know. We'll see. But Or maybe Bogey's gone by that point, could be. So, yeah, I think York could stick a second. Same with Gonzalez. And, yeah, I think York's up by the end of 2023 or early 2024 at the latest.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. So I think they both stick. More 2024 for York, but he keeps hitting. He couldn't push the timeline up. I think Nick Gonzalez is definitely more ready as a college bat. So um, excited to see what he can do as well.
1: Yeah, I like the Gonzalez a lot. I think he's gonna be a top ten caliber fantasy second baseman for a long time. Bet that bat is legit. A little bit of speed as well. I think Pittsburgh's gonna be a pretty solid lineup here in the next few years. All these young guys will be adding, definitely on the up and up. We had another J Rod question. A couple of other J Rod questions. One, this is more you know team based for this person, but I think in general they're asking, you know, how good do we think J Rod can be this year? Assuming he makes the open, opening day roster, what do we think he looks like this year? I think good average, good power. And I think if I if I told you, Chris, that, you know, let's say put the over under 270 and 25 home runs and like, you know, seven, eight steals. What would you think about that?
2: I think that's definitely fair. I wouldn't – I'm not going to suggest he's going to be a superstar year one. He's still right. so young, but he's very polished. Despite his age, so I, I think that's pretty reasonable. You don't want to put the expectation too high, but I think he can be a highly fantasy relevant player in his rookie season. I, I do believe that for a fact.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I think he's to be. You've seen that like, he is so advanced. Like he's a three thirty one career minor league hitter, four twelve OBP. Obviously, we've seen the, you know he doesn't strike out much. The power's there. The hit tool is there. He's just very polished. So I think he definitely could be one that hits the ground running and is a top 100 player this year if he gets the time, Like I'm still not 100% that he's on opening day roster. We'll see. We'll get that answer probably within the next few days, I'm sure. But, yeah, whenever he is up, if it's opening day, if it's May, if it's June, I think it'll be June at the latest at this point. Yeah, he's going to be probably pretty damn good right away. All right, next question here. What impact will the humidors have on fantasy baseball? I'm not I'm not 100% sure on this. Well, at least they're doing it league-wide now, which is great. But – uh, do you have any, any thoughts on this, Chris?
2: I'm just going to go to what Eno said about it because he put it in the best way that I think you could possibly say it. I gotta find his tweet. He's basically said the humidor brings the balls to average humidity, so extremely humid places. It'll keep the ball drier and less waterlogged, which means the ball will travel further, which is definitely great. So he said the most humid parks like San Francisco, San Diego, Miami, and Tampa Bay, even could see an offensive boost, basically, you know, rehashing, saying that the humidor does help, like, just make the ball travel more. So the teams that already had humidors are, let's see, listed those as well. Rockies, Diamondbacks, Red Sox, Mariners, Mets, Astros, Marlins, Cardinals, Rangers, and Blue Jays. So we'll see the other parks, I think, get a boost. So it could hurt Miami pitchers, I think. That's a possibility. San Francisco pitchers, it could hurt. It'll be interesting to see how that really plays out. So I'm looking forward to seeing that, but at least it's everything will be on an even playing field.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. I, I didn't like how that was. In, it was like t- you know, 10 or 12 ballparks you just mentioned. I'm just glad that it's all 30 now. Universal, same with the, the DH. I, think, I like everything universal, even playing field. So I think that's good. All right. Which prospect has the best MLB stats this year? And what is their stat line? Mm. I mean, it's easy to say Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah. because be he day one, one he said the power, the speed. He's looked really damn good so far this spring. Uh, he's got a couple of home runs already. Does, isn't striking out that much. I think he's actually two walks to two Ks, which is really encouraging. So yeah, I'll an easy answer here. I, I'd hate to be boring, and go Bobby Witt Jr., but I think it is. And I think it's something like two sixty five, two seventy. I think you'll see. 20 mid 20s home runs and uh, 15 16 steals, and, and that's super lofty. And that'll put make him a top if he goes like two, even 260, 25, 15. I think that's a top 60 50 player right there. So, but I think that's what we could see. He looks really good, he's he's improved a ton as a p- overall hitter since the 2019 draft. He's not just a power speed guy anymore. Yeah, so I think that's definitely possible.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that he's the easy pick to be the best rookie. And I think the stats – I don't i don't think 2020 is out of the question. It depends on where he hits in the lineup and how the Royals let him run. Yeah. So I'm kind of – I kind of was out on him for most of draft season, and I think that he limbs a lot right now in redraft league. So I'm not sure if I'll – I mean, I'm done with most drafts at this point, but I, I do think that he's an easy pick for me to say that he'll be the best rookie or best prospect.
1: Yeah, I don't think I have any shares of, I obviously, Dynasty shares, and maybe yeah. one or two like early best balls, but um trying to pull up, you know, like NFBC, you can look at your players' shares, and yeah, I have none. I said a quick control F for WIT, and there was no results found. So, yeah, I don't have any WIT shares on any of my NFBC teams. Not because I don't like WIT, just because the price tag, and he's a rookie, and we've been... I've been spurned by that before. I'm trying to steer away from it this year more than before. So, but yeah, I think Witschka could have a really good year. Obviously, uh, cut, let's get squeezing a couple more here. We still got like seven or eight more, but we can't get to them all here. We don't have like a two-hour show here, so let's do a couple more here. It says if you could trade want uh, trade to get Wander in the dynasty, but it would cost you either Vlad or Soda. Would you? Absolutely not. No. Like we, we've talked about, Wander's very good. Like he could be. Aussie Albies with more average, like you know, but maybe a little less, you know, power speed overall than Albies. But a guy that's you know, top fifteen to twenty draft pick, you know, maybe a little higher. I just don't see him as being an annual top ten guy, like you know, Vlad and Soto are. Like they're top five guys. They've shown that they've that might be the two highest floors in the game right now. Vlad and Soto. Would you agree with that? Yeah. There's there's no chance.
2: And I I do think Wander has a high floor too, but I'm not paying yeah. that cost to get him.
1: No, like it's a, if anything, I, I, I've like i sold a couple of Wander shares in Dynasty. So obviously love the player. Just I think he's a bit overvalued for Dynasty purposes here. Ezekiel Tovar's spring training. What do you guys make of it? Seems underrated and underappreciated when comparing him to someone like a Luis Matos. Yeah, we, we saw Tovar last year out in the, in the Arizona Fall League. And I think we, we both kind of came away with a similar reaction where he looked good. He's putting the bat on the ball, but we were kind of wondering how much impact was going to be there. You know, how much power was he hit for? Or is he much more of a you know, slap hitter type? So, I don't know. I honestly haven't even looked at Tovar's spring training stats before now. I'm pulling it up right now. Has he, has he hit for a lot of power this spring? He the,
2: There's some decent exit velocities. He had a 110.2 EV, which he had 110.4 in the AFL. But you're right. While he has exhibited the ability to hit for, you know, at least high EVs, he still looked like more of a slap hitter that went the other way a lot in every, and we saw him three or four games, I think. So that was something that definitely stood out to us. But if he learns to lift the ball a little more, I could see him getting more home run power because he does make really, really good contact. And I think that's important. The contacts there, he's still young. He's shown the ability to hit the ball hard. So there's the type of players that usually can evolve into someone that, you know, grows into home runs and I think that can certainly be the case here and so sold on the fact that he's just going to be a slap hitter I think that we'll potentially see him you know take some steps forward so I do like Tovar I think he's kind of underrated and he's one that can move up
1: yeah his spring has actually been really good I didn't realize he was doing this well nine games 20 plate appearances two doubles three home runs two steals hitting 550 zero walks and one strikeout so yeah very good strand rose he was doing that well this spring but yeah, I, I echo a lot of what Chris said. You know, the contact skills are very good. He did have 15 home runs last year in 469 plate appearances between Low A and High A. I think he could be a right around a 15 homer guy. I don't think he's ever be a 20 homer guy, but 15 home runs. He's got solid speed, high efficiency guy as well on the bases. Solid contact skills that'll obviously be boosted by course field. So this could, it could be a, a solid fantasy player here down the road. He's still a couple years away. Yeah, he, I think he just turned tw- – yeah, he turned 20 back in August. So he'll play most of this year at age 20. So he's still not going to be up until second half of next year at the earliest. And it's also the Rockies, so this could be you know another year after that. But it definitely a good little player here with, with Tovar. He could be – You know, they don't really have that locked down middle infield. Like Hampson hasn't worked out. Rogers looks like he could be solid, but we're still kind of waiting to see with him. So you could see Tovar as, as a starting middle infielder for this team a couple years out. Definitely has that upside. I think that's going to wrap it up here. So we got a couple more questions, but we'll get to those on Twitter. Sorry to everyone that we couldn't get to, but thank you to everyone for submitting all these great questions. There's a lot of fun, a lot of fun storylines and spring training as well. But that is going to wrap us up for this episode. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Eric Cross, 04. Chris is at Roto Clegg, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon. And join us again next time for more Fantasy Baseball Talk. But until then, everyone take care.
0: Asbury Methodist Village and Montgomery County take senior living to the next level, creating extraordinary opportunities for a fulfilling future. Work your brain and body in our new wellness center. Stroll our expansive campus and 17-acre nature preserve. Stay sharp with our resident-run college and find so many new ways to get involved and make a difference for others. Anticipate more from your retirement. Visit asburymethodistvillage.org today. Your future's here. Equal opportunity housing provider.